0: Hey, this is David Schultz, audio producer here at Bloomberg Law. Just wanted to let you know we've created a couple new ways for you to interact with us. If you have feedback on this episode or any of our other podcasts, please give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 703-341-3690. That's 703-341-3690. We might just use your comments in a future episode. You can also reach out to us by email at podcast at BloombergLaw.com. Or on Twitter, at Blaw. We would love to hear your thoughts. When a law firm signs up to monitor a troubled police department, what's it actually signing up to do? Today on the podcast, we talk about police reform and the somewhat precarious role that big law is playing here. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. It's expected that any day now, local officials in Minnesota and Kentucky will enter into consent decrees with the federal Department of Justice in response to the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. These would be the latest in a string of steps to address the racial impacts of troubled local police departments. In situations like this, bringing in some independent entity can often be a good way to root out the cause of these problems and develop a plan for reform. And though the problem of police misconduct and its racial impact has been around for a very long time, now Big Law is getting involved in a sort of new way. Several firms such as Venable, Arnold, Fox, Shepard Mullen, and others are either looking into doing some police monitoring work, or already have. Bloomberg Law's Ayana Alexander just recently wrote about why these firms are getting involved here and about some of the pitfalls they might encounter. She says these police monitoring roles are often the result of consent decrees that troubled police departments enter into with the federal department of justice.
1: Consent decrees are these court ordered agreements um, between local jurisdictions or cities and their law enforcement and the DOJ. And they require police departments that are accused of widespread civil rights and other violations to basically do away with their operations start from scratch. They can include trainings and things like that, but basically it's an overhaul.
0: So this is when a police department has just sort of had, you know, widespread malfeasance they the the court orders them to just kind of blow it up and rebuild it
1: basically yes i mean some examples of that could be you know stops and searches or arrests that violate you know a person's first fourth or 14th amendments which we we've been seeing over the last year so that's typically what triggers a consent decree especially if it happens consistently
0: How many uh, police departments are under consent decrees now? I mean, is this something that happens frequently or is it rare? Like, give me a sense.
1: In the Trump administration, there was only one, I believe, which is a complete difference from what the Obama administration did. And what Biden is trying to do now is kind of bring that back to the forefront. So that's why people are saying we'll probably see more. You know, we saw the DOJ go through a restructure itself and they brought on these social justice heavy hitters and Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark. So we probably will see more now, um, especially given what happened with the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And we have an investigation coming in Louisville, Kentucky. So we're definitely we're definitely thinking we're going to see more consent decrees.
0: No, you're right. We've got a new uh, Department of Justice, a new attorney general, who, uh, as you mentioned, has said that this is a uh, priority where will these consent decrees be uh targeted? Will it be big police departments, small ones, uh red states, blue states, big cities, uh rural areas. What what's what are we going to see?
1: I think um what we probably will see are consent decrees in those cases that gain a lot of publicity. So, like I said before, we have the investigation in Minneapolis and Louisville, Kentucky coming. We will probably see two consent decrees there. Um, there have been cities who have also asked the DOJ to bring an investigation and a potential consent decree to their city, such as Columbus, where we saw, you know, the case with Micaiah Bryant a couple months ago. So it's looking like it'll basically be anywhere. It could be big or small police departments. It can be royal. It could be it could be small cities, big cities. It can be blue states, red states. It really just depends on the trend of police misconduct. And since, you know, George Floyd's case and his murder got so much publicity and had so much impact, why not start there is basically what the DOJ is saying.
0: So let's talk uh, now about your story, that as a part of these consent decrees, a lot of them call for uh, monitoring of the police departments that that uh, are under the decrees. And that monitoring is done by law firms. Um, who are these law firms that are doing this monitoring?
1: So they've been pretty major um, law firms over the past few years. We had Venable, um, we had Tuttle and Taylor. Over time, like it, it can be big law, but it can also just be law firms that are in that specific city because you want people who have. A knowledge of the city, of the locality, of the police department, but you want somebody who isn't going to become compromised. So we had, in Baltimore, we had Venable. That was one of the big name law firms that were monitors. And maybe Venable may throw the, its hat in the ring if there is one in Minneapolis. Um, there may be some of the same ones who worked in Baltimore and like Shepard Mullen in New Orleans. There may be some there that might you know, try to help with this case because it was a huge case. Merrick Bob, who has his own police accountability um, group now, he used to work for O'Melveny. And he, I think he just resigned last year from um, the Seattle consent decree monitorship position. So they've had their hat in the ring also.
0: You know, let's talk about how just the mechanics of this, you know, who who pays the law firm to do this? Because this is tough work. This is very complex work, you know, monitoring the actions of, of an entire police department.
1: So from what I've been hearing as far as who signs the check for law firms to do this work, it's between the cities and the DOJ. Um, I've been hearing that the heavy lifting, though, comes from the cities, which is kind of issues on the jurisdiction side because they're basically saying you want us to invest all this money into – these group of people to come in and potentially not do anything. That's definitely been an issue around the monitorship.
0: Mm. All right. So let's get into, again, the pitfalls. Although, I mean, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, thankless work for these law firms. There's also, it's sort of a high risk, high reward situation, as you wrote about, that uh, taking on this job can really establish yourself in the civil rights uh, sphere if you're a law firm and you do a good job. Can you talk about that sort of high risk, high reward uh, calculation there?
1: Yeah. So basically law firms approach this job from what I've been hearing like any other. You know, they have to do a lot of work. They bring neutrality to the process. But at the same time, you do gain a certain sense of celebrity, especially the bigger the case, Um, the bigger news is surrounded with it it's all public records. So the public, you will have eyes on you. And if you don't do what, you know, citizens think you should be doing, what politicians think you should be doing, that could come down pretty hard on the law firms. That's first. Um, It also doesn't pay as much in terms of what they could be getting if they were to represent like an Amazon or a Google or something like that. So, for them, it's like, you know, this is a civic duty. I'm doing this for, you know, I, I want to feel good about this. This Is something good that I'm supposed to be doing? But at the same time, it could come with good or bad publicity. That's the tricky thing there.
0: But let's talk about what can go wrong. Um, as you kind of already hinted at it, but I mean, everything that these firms are doing at, when they're monitoring police departments is being scrutinized to a, a very high degree. Um, do you have any examples of situations where law firms took on this work and, and you know, it didn't quite go at the way they hoped?
1: I Something I wrote about in the story that has been a major issue, for example, is that the DOJ needs to make the monitorship process more clear. Clarify what it is, clarify what the monitors can and cannot do. Because something that happens is the monitor can't go in and say, I want this police chief to be fired because I feel like He's being, you know, sketchy. <laughs> yeah.
0: For, I think that that's that's the technical term.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they can't just do that. You know what I mean? They go, Their job is to go in and to observe and take notes and then help with the report at the end of it all. So that's one major issue I, that all the former um, monitors that I spoke with, they said that, you know, that would be helpful. Some of them also said the DOJ could pay more money, which... Okay, we'll see. Probably not. But um, I've also heard that, you know, there are instances where there are law firms that tend to be on the more conservative side, more, quote unquote, pro police. And while they come in to uphold the law, to monitor, to observe, to do that, they could still be rubbing up against conflict of interest laws. I know that that was a huge concern from some of the previous monitors in terms of former Senator um, Doug Jones who wanted um, Arnt Fox to be more involved with consent decrees. I think he said that in April. So that's something that we, we might see that law firm kind of tip it to lend its hand too. So the conflict of interest there could be an issue because he is a former politician.
0: Former politician and, and former prosecutor.
1: Exactly. So that could also be an issue. But it's really, really about the DOJ cleaning up what the monitor can and cannot do. Because I don't think not only are the monitors not clear, but the public doesn't know. And we can't talk about transparency, accountability without knowing what every stitch of this process, what they do, what they bring, what their role is, what they bring to the process, how it's supposed to work.
0: That's really interesting what you mentioned, though, about the law firm not being able to fire a police chief. And, And on the one hand, That makes sense because, you know, sometimes these, you know, or actually probably a lot of times, these police chiefs are appointed by elected officials or are even in the sheriff's departments are elected themselves. Uh, So it would be raise a whole host of problems if a law firm could oust an elected official or uh, someone appointed by an elected official. On the other hand, you know, when I bet you there are a lot of times when these law firms come in and monitor a police department and say, this is the problem. This is what is, you know, stopping this police department from getting better and we can't do anything about it that must be so frustrating
1: yeah i mean like i said i spoke with christy lopez who not only worked in the doj but she was also a former federal um, monitor contractor and she was saying you know that was the hardest part for her and for a lot of people that she worked with you know they don't have as much power as it would seem and you would think By the title, it's called a monitor, so in my mind, it's like they're going in to monitor something, to observe something. But at the same time, when we're talking about the police and there's a report, there's findings that comes out at the end of this investigation negotiation to make sure that the police and the cities are minding that agreement, you would think that they have a little bit more say in what happens, but they don't. And, you know, it's still on the cities and the police departments to figure out who stays, who goes. And as a monitor, you're coming in and it's like, well, what am I here for? They're not even a part of the negotiations, I've heard. So they come in after the cities and the DOJ and the police discuss this is what it's going to look like. And then you bring these monitors in and they're like, okay, well, we're going to police the police, essentially, but not in a way that we could arrest them. <laughs> well, right. We're just going to watch them. Right. We're just going to watch them. So
0: Yeah, that really drives home the point that, you know, how little – I mean, they have a lot of power, but they also really don't, the firms. All right, finally, let's talk about – let's take a big step back and talk about consent decrees overall. Um, you know, this is – the DOJ has been doing this for quite some time, at least, you know, in the Obama administration and probably before that. Uh, And they're going to continue to do it under President Biden and Merrick Garland. Is this effective at reforming police departments um, or not?
1: That is such a tricky question because it depends on who you ask. Honestly, the public, I've spoken to a lot of different um, police oversight, police accountability advocacy groups, And they were basically like, this is a nice gesture, but it's just a small nugget when it comes to police reform. Then you've got politicians who feel like, you know, some of them are thinking that police reform isn't going far enough. Therefore, consent decrees, there needs to be more there. There are some who feel like this is doing too much. It's going too far. Then you have some of the lawyers who are like, you know yes we think that this is effective and it works because you need a non-biased person for this type of work but you also need it to be the right person for the right reasons and we haven't always seen that but something that they all agree on is that the work isn't done (laughs) they they all they literally verbatim they all said that like this is nice yes consent degrees and monitors do this it works here it doesn't work here But overall, it's just a small cob. Like, it just, it's not going to to stop police misconduct. It's not going to heal or start police reform. It's, I mean, it is a start, but it's a very small start. And depending with what the DOJ does with it, I'm not entirely sure that that's going to change under this administration, the next administration, or those to come. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with consent decrees and monitorship and if it will still be law firms like I've been hearing it more than likely will be. But um, as of right now, the the overall consensus is that reform isn't finished and consent decree monitors isn't going to finish it. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Well, that was Ayanna Alexander, a reporter with Bloomberg Law, joining us. Ayanna, thank you so much for talking with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Jessica Coombs. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLAW. That's B as in Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. We'll be off next week for the holidays. So we will see you again in two weeks. For our next season of Uncommon Law, we're looking at the regulatory future of big tech. The giants need to be broken up. Facebook, Google, all of them. Is big tech impinging on your right to free speech?
1: They've had unchecked power to censor, restrict, edit, shape, hide, alter.
0: Misinformation, disinformation. It's like a big Venn diagram. We do not want to become the arbiters of truth. We're calling this series Unchecked. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.